Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply they might talk about human music film, books, football, and box sets, exercise, and maybe even food. Trivia and sport, politics and health, sometimes well-being too. On the life with Brian. On the life with Brian. Hello again, Mark here, and you've tuned in to Life with Brian, and I'm pleased to say our eponymous host, Brian McClare, is in situ. Um, are you all right, Chucky? I'm very good, thank you very much. Good, you've been busy? Yes, today I took the lid off a glass casserole dish, unscrewed it, cleaned it while I was listening to some old stuff that uh, from Mark, you know, I was listening to uh, uh, the that, some of that stuff you did when you visit in towns, Mark, where... Um, you went to uh, Paisley, which is uh, town oh, yeah, yeah. in west of Scotland, and also a town that I used to reside in. Not live in, I resided there. <laughs> and that was Wimslow in Cheshire. Oh, right, 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 yes. Well, uh, that, so, in your Manchester United days, that was all the... Um... We, can, uh, we can have a chat about a couple of things about that later, on, if you can remember, because I know it was a number of years ago, but... No, no, I remember that, it, that's yeah. what, uh, That's what I'm at, and I, I, got the, I got the casserole dish lid handle unscrewed and screwed back without breaking it and it's nice and clean thanks to your uh, dulcet tones and I was uh, full of myth and laughter at the whole thing having uh, as I said been a resident of said Wimslow so that's what I've uh, managed to achieve today well, oh well I'm glad to be of service <laughs> who said uh, who said retirement's tricky eh um, Matthew is here as always too how are you doing Matthew uh, how do I follow that story eh uh, yeah I'm good thanks uh, everyone hello um, and I'm very pleased to introduce another far more interesting Mark to the podcast in the shape of the multi-talented, multi-award-winning comedian, author and broadcaster, Mark Steele. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Are you well? Oh, thank you. 
Yeah, 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 I am, yes. I sort of, uh, uh, well, football-wise, I had a really a lovely day out, strangely, when my team lost 2-0 in the FA Cup semi-final. And uh, it was really interesting because the Palace fans had such a ball. And at the full-time, we, we never even heard the full-time whistle because everyone was singing and dancing and waving flags. And the Chelsea fans all just sort of got up and left, really. And if you were sort of watching it without knowing the score... You would absolutely think that Chelsea had lost. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what. What's the point of supporting Chelsea? I, I really, it's an illness. Really, it's something that you ought to be sort of treated as a sickness. <laughs> well, that was that leads me on to my uh, my first question, Mark. Is um, is your love of, of Palace? I mean, you, you're a big Palace fan, as we know. But am I right in thinking you sort of came to the love of the Eagles came to you slightly later in life? No, 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 I didn't really, because I was brought up in Kent uh, and uh, just sort of in this in this bit of Kent. People imagine that Kent is this, that the, if people have never been there, like all the Garden of England, I'd always think it, it is a garden, but it's a garden with a upside-down rusty pram in it and a tyre swinging about. Uh, it's that sort of garden because there's lots of suddenly get a quarry or something or, um, uh, or marvellously... One of the great attractions of Kent is a place called the Romney Hythe and Dimchurch Railway, which is this beautiful little miniature railway, tiny little thing, just about squeeze in it. And it goes for miles right around the coast of Kent. And it, it goes through people's gardens. It's an amazing thing. And so people sort of wave, all these sort of touristy people, they think, oh, it's wonderful. And you get a little ticket clipped by a nice man who's retired and he sort of polishes his buttons, got his uniform. And they go, it goes through places like Dimchurch. And then it ends up, this is such a Kent thing, because it goes through these sort of beautiful little bits and then really ugly bits. And it end, I'm sure the tourists must think, oh, it. I'm sure this train must end up at a delightful little spot where we have a wonderful picnic. And it ends up at Dungeness Power Station. I'm, I'm not sure 18 is late late in life. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't brought up supporting him. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was sort of insular time, that sort of thing. And, uh, obviously, with a former United legend in our company, um, you know, United... Palace rivalry got quite tasty from what should we say? What nineteen ninety to about nineteen ninety five, ninety six. I mean, you had the the FA Cup final nineteen ninety, you had the semi final in ninety four, was it? And then the famous night at uh, Selhurst Park, uh, January ninety five. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was in. Um, I was doing a show that night, and I, I sort of came off after the show in rugby and. Ask someone what this, what's the score? What's the score? Because this would be four days when everyone had phones and all that, wasn't it? And um, I remember like, oh, never mind the score, but of course, but of course, I was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't care, Eric Cantona, what he's kicked to. What was the score? And um, <laughs> one all, as I remember, it was, it was each, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was funny, wasn't it? That because I was there that night. Obviously, you were Brian, but I mean, it was it was the kind of thing that made the headlines all the next day. Now that would just be absolutely all over the place within ten seconds of it happening, but. I remember going home that night and thinking, did that really happen? It wasn't really until the next day that we all realised it happened. And I think, Brian, you, some of you lot in the changing rooms didn't even know it happened because you didn't see it, did you? Oh, is that right? When I, Eric um, got sent off and then the commotion happened after that. And you, and you turn to see, because quite clearly there's a, there's a buzz over that canary by the, by the, uh, the dugouts. Uh, but Eric's back on the pitch after the, the incident, you know, and he's, he can see he's remonstrating with somebody who's with um, 
United kit man Norman Davis at the time and he's got a hold of him and then other people come along and, and Eric gets ushered to the uh, back to, to the dressing room so I have no idea of anything that's happened at all apart from he seems to be uh, having an argument with somebody in the crowd which is not that too bad a thing by the end of the game we, we come off we managed to get a late, late equaliser and um the reserve goalkeeper, Gary Wall, said to me, oh, you won't believe what happened there. I says, well, what are you on about? He says, Eric Kung Fu'd someday in the crowd. And now I, I, did, I did physics at school, right? And, and I know the bit, you know, because the pitch is higher up there. It's, it's, it's about two foot drop down into the terrace mm. as it was then. And I'm thinking that's not possible for him to have Kung Fu'd somebody. And I'm just imagining he's landed, jumped back up onto the pitch in the time it's taken me to turn around and have a look. He says, no, that, that's not possible. He, and he's going, uh, and, and Gary had a little bit of a, a speech impediment and he's going, I'm telling you, Chucky, I'm telling you, he's kung fu. And I'm like, ah, fuck off, no chance, you know. <laughs> and then we get in the dressing room and there's, there's a story about the dressing room anyway. We, um, I can't remember what, what, what way we got back that night uh, but we got back and my, my missus had recorded the game, you know. So she's saying the same thing. And I'm like, that's not possible, you know. So put the video on, fast forward to this bit, just as you get sent off, watch after he gets home. And then, then the event happens and I'm like that. Fucking hell, that is unbelievable. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, well, that's him finished. He's got to be, forget all about the civil action or the criminal action. I'm thinking, oh, he, he can't, you know, as much as we wanted to, you know, uh, disagree, argue, whatever, with uh, supporters during emotional times. And I'm sure you haven't, when you've been doing gigs, you can't be going around doing things like that, you know, even sometimes arguing with them. So I thought, oh, well, that's him finished, you know. And then after that, it just was, it, it, it grew into even more of a of a story and an event and uh, ended up, well, it didn't end up. I mean, when he went to down your way to Croydon, they went to court, he got a, he got a custodial sentence. Mm. The first place, you know, because we used to have a lawyer who was on the board and we used to say all the time, oh, he's in trouble because uh, he's never won a case. <laughs> <laughs> and that was true. He never won that case. Eric got, he got a custodial sense. Yeah. He got, like, taken down from the thing. They went downstairs, you know. Yeah. And then there was a few hours before they managed to get bail for him to get him, get him back out. <laughs> and then when he went back again, it, it got the Do you know what? Um, it's interesting, about You're talking about how, if it happened now and, you know, we were saying, oh, it'd, it'd obviously be all around the internet within seconds and all right, that. Yeah. But also, now I would imagine there would be a PR team all around him that would say, you've got to apologise, you've got to go and do a series of interviews and, I don't know, you've got to go to Croydon and sweep some roads or something, I don't know. Um, but there was no real apology at all, was there? I mean, only a, a sort of marvellously poetic sort of seagulls thing. But um, he never really sort of said, oh, did." it was quite... It was ahead of his time, really. He was a bit Boris Johnson, wasn't he? There was no sort of... Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, no, that's... You can't even have it. I'm not giving you that. <laughs> only famously, a few years ago, he said he apologised. He wished he had hit the guy harder, didn't he? That was his only sort of really... Apo- that's the way he apologised yes. for. Tongue-in-cheek. But yeah, at the time, it was... Uh, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, there was a huge outcry at the time. I remember it well, and you obviously do, Brian, but nothing like it would be now. I mean, the, now I think the guy would be... You know, there'd be calls for him to be... Strung up, or oh, Christ. You know. So, but how was it? What? What? I mean, oh, this is obviously a sort of 
meaningless question that lots of people would ask. But as a like playing with him, was he was he always sort of um, prone to sort of you know at half time if it was if the if Alex Ferguson said right we need to do this and that would Eric Cantona sort of reply with some strange no. French verse or something? Yeah, but see, well, Matt, what what happened about that kind of thing is that. Eddie, yeah, you I mean it's you 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 just mentioned at the start of the program, and I know that you've been learning French, and you're you're going to be doing potentially some of your own stuff in French. Yeah, so you've got all that kind of thing, and you mentioned that some of the kind of things I read today about you talking about a story, a little story I thought was brilliant, which to me is probably typical Paris, if it's true, because one of the things it's difficult to glean things for you because you make it, you make so much shit up, it's difficult to work out. <laughs> What you're actually, what, this did happen or it didn't happen, you know? So it's, you know, I'm thinking, is this an elephant trap or not? But allegedly, you asked a guy, a, a, a security guy uh, in Paris. I don't know whether it was uh, Musée d'Orsay or the or the um, or the or the the, the uh, Louvre, whatever else. Can you tell me where the entrance to the museum yeah, is? Yeah. And he gave you directions, knowing yeah. that it was a Monday and it's fucking shut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and you come all the right. way back, and he's laughing, going, you know. Yeah. Well, it was. Yes, it was shut, that's, you know? that's magnificent knowledge that you know that. But yeah, 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 yeah. That's absolutely true. I mean, except it was a sort of, it was a Parisian shrug. So it was sort of more. It, it was a bit Cantonaresque in a way because if he was, if it was an English person who was just being a bastard for the sake of it, I can imagine going, "I'll send you around here." No, and it's shut, you wanker. But it didn't. It wasn't that. It was so I got back. I didn't really speak French at the time, but enough to say, you know, "Le musée fermé," and he went, "Oui." <laughs> so I said the best I could. You knew it was shut. Well, laugh for you, miserable Parisian ass. And when I, as I got to know French, of course I get you know. And there's something wonderful about the sort of Parisian, uh, that Parisian deliberate miserableness. That it's all. I just find it funny. I was in a restaurant so just before the lockdown, a little restaurant, a little cafe uh, with someone, and we were going to a cafe. Uh, we were going to the cinema and we had plenty of time and we'd had a little tiny bowl of something and waited about 40 minutes in this empty, there was only us in there for the bloke to come past and said, please, can we pay, please? And then eventually he came over and he said, if you are in a hurry, you should have come here earlier. You can't be annoyed at that. No. I mean, the, the, the answer to your question is, is that no, he didn't. He, he, was, he was very quiet and very uh, great professional. And he, and he didn't say, didn't agree with him. He didn't get shouted at by Alex Ferguson because Alex Ferguson knew how to, to manage him. Um, but he would come out with those kind of things because he'd come out with that stuff before. And I remember having a conference sitting down next to him. I was saying to him, he used to sit facing me and I knew that he he got everything that was happening because he would laugh at the appropriate times or he'd be shrugging his shoulders at some of the stupidity that were in the dressing room. But he knew exactly what was going on and he was quite quiet, you know. But he knew everything that was going on. You know, he was clever enough to understand that. And I said to him one day, I said, you know, I'm reading about him and all that, you know. And uh, he'd come out with it. So there's a few different things. So one of the things that before it became de rigueur to have tattoos, Eric had a, a Geronimo tattoo on his chest. All right, right. And I think I was the only one person in the dressing room who knew what it was, right? Everybody else was just like, 
what the, f- the fuck is that you've got there, you know? And he would just be like, if you don't know, if you don't know, you should be asking, you know? And he'd be like, ah, fucking French idiot or whatever, you know? But I knew who it was, so I'd be laughing at that sort of thing. So you can understand me. So you could see that he was, he'd be, he was, he had heroes, I suppose, as, yeah. as these type of people, you know? But I'd also read an article that he was also a big fan of uh, uh, Rambo, a French poet. Yeah, yeah. And he, he professed to be a painter, but if you've seen any of these paintings, you know I'm standing in, in the very, um, very artistically. You would imagine that uh, that uh, Van Gogh may have done or Renoir standing in a field uh, with his smock on and his uh, blackberry and an easel, you know. But when you see the easel. It's like painting by numbers, you know. Like you turn it around, and you go, "What the fuck?" And you just turn it and say, "Well, it's it's surreal," you know. And you can't argue with that. Can't you? It's like this is what I see, uh, right? So I said that. I said that to him one day. I says, "Look, Eric." I says, "I says I, I went to university. I says and I studied fairly reasonable things, maths, physics, and chemistry. And I've read a few books and all that kind of thing." I said, "And, and I'm from Scotland." I says, "You're from France or the." borders of France and Spain and you've come out with these things about Rambo being one of your heroes and you've got Geronimo tattoo and you come out with all these fucking ridiculous comments <laughs> right? I says do you think I would get away with any of that and he just looked up to me started laughing right I go no what fucking wouldn't would I because you're fucking born in France and I'm born in fucking the west of Scotland that's the only reason you're getting away with it it's just because it's patient and he just laughed you know I said imagine I could get slaughtered you know like poetry what are you listening to what are you reading poetry for Uh son I just wonder, was it was there, going back to that United Palace rivalry, which it was at the time? I mean, from a Palace point of view, Mark, did you see it as a as a as a nasty kind of period at the time? Because oh, I mean, Brian famously, Brian's famously said he wished Palace had gone down because he used to hate that drive down to uh, right. Sellers, Sellers Park. But um, but you know, I mean, I don't think it was. I think there was a bit of. I think I was, I was probably in a minority of one, really, and that I I sort of liked Cantona, but I, I struggled to say that even. I, even now, really. I mean, I loved him in the Ken Loach film. And uh, I think there's something very, you know, just enormously engaging about him, really, and very interesting about him. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know. But I think all these, most of these rivalries are sort of made up. I mean, it's like the Palace rivalry with Brighton, for example. I mean, it, it's just... I like going along with it because it's funny, but you can't mean it. It's mm. stupid. If you start going, yes, I am genuinely going to hate Brighton because they are our rivals. That's bonkers, isn't it? I was saying to someone yesterday, we should sort of, um, we should make it even more ridiculous and our rivals should be like a team from Romania or a, <laughs> or an ice hockey team from Vancouver. Do we hate We hate them. It's, or, or I don't know, or, an, or, or the arts department, the, just something, the philosophy department from Marseille. It's just bonkers. I mean, it's all right as a laugh, but, um, you know, there are clubs that are sort of, I do think there's something, not about all the fans at all, but I think there's something a bit unpleasant about Chelsea. And I, it's really, I found it really distasteful, the sort of, um, 
number of Chelsea, the, the majority of Chelsea fans seem to have just have no regard whatsoever for anything going on in the world at all at the moment, other than whatever to go, our bloke, right? He's got trophies in our, on, on our table, right? And you're just jealous. No, I don't think anybody who's sort of suggesting that people shouldn't invade another country and destroy the place is just jealous of you and your fucking stupid <laughs> Champions League trophy. <laughs> That's Zelensky, right? Do you know why he's fucking jealous of Chelsea? <laughs> but I think most clubs, I think most Manchester United supporters are, you know, and players and what have you. I don't know what you're telling this by because as a, as a player, it must seem completely ridiculous because you, you go from one club to another. So I didn't really though. But that was that because of um, no, I suppose you didn't. But but lots of players did. I mean, even yeah. from United, they would. Yeah, they'd be, they'd be, yeah, I think when you when you're playing for the club, you you, you should be playing for them to win. But if you're a supporter of the club, that's a t- totally different thing, you know. So, I mean, I, I wasn't. I suppose fortunate that the, the two clubs that I supported in Scotland and England that I ended up playing for. Right, so, right. And I still have the same sort of situation now. So when I'm watching. So it's been a bad week for me losing the semi-final of the Scottish Cup to Rangers. And then, mm. I mean, last night was just embarrassing, which just leads me on to your tweet today was brilliant. All right. I would have put, oh, Alex Ferguson. That's what I said, Alex I don't Ferguson. Know, have you read the tweet? Did you see that, Marco? <laughs> no, tell us, Brian. Yeah, go on. Just for the record, this is this is the day after United. The tweet today was, that, yes, for the record. Alex Ferguson would make a difference to Manchester United if he came back. As a player, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's uh, just, you know, just was... into what you just, just into what it is, though. That's, I thought, that's just fucking how far we are. That yes, he probably would do. Eighty, <laughs> be better than something. I always feel slightly guilty about it, saying anything like that because I think. The, the person who plays for the reserves for Welling in the National League South or something would be the would be a player so astonishingly brilliant compared to anything I could do. So I always feel slightly guilty criticising any professional footballer. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, my, I mean, like I've learned so many things from just doing hmm. the V-sets on you today. And I, I, again, come back to the... Uh, the uh, you have ever the imagination. I thought they, this kind of be real things that I'm listening to you talking about. And one of the ones right away was uh, the suggestion by a a Cornish MP that there should be a Margaret Thatcher Day. 
I nearly choked in my cornflakes when I was reading that this morning. Oh, right. And I wanted to suggest that, <laughs> that you should be putting that about, that she's, this person from Cornwall should launch her campaign. And some other daft person that's in Parliament. Uh, they should launch a campaign in the east end of Glasgow. I remember seeing Frankie Boyle do this thing. I must have been after she died, I guess. And there was, um, and he said, uh, uh, and there was sort of discussion on the telly there with one of his programs about what what they should do. And he said, oh, it was about a state funeral and all the money, how much money it was going to cost. And he said, for that money. You could give everyone in Scotland a shovel and they could <laughs> dig so deep that they could hand it to Satan personally. <laughs> <laughs> I thought well, you cannot top that for just like for poetry. Uh, he's a big football fan, isn't yeah, he, Frankie? He's a Celtic fan. Mm. Yeah, crossed his path, Brian. You, you know him or? No, I, I've, I've read something a while ago that. Uh, he was, um, he would be a teenager when I left Celtic and it said I uh, broke his heart. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, I left Celtic in 1987. So, yeah, that was, I saw that. So it, here's work. a question, Brian, that I'm fascinated at the moment. I think at the moment, the official opposition almost seems to be St. Gary Neville and Andy Murray and uh, Dino Atchison-Smith, the athlete, uh, and, and well, a number of the a number of the England footballers, Tyrone Mings, and people like that, and it's just very, very different from how it once would have. Oh, Lineker, of course. Uh, it's very different from how it once would have been. It seems that sort of sports stars now seem to be much more willing to be um, vocal about their about their beliefs than they would have been in the past. I don't know if that's just coincidence or if no, there's something no, that's think caused that. Because, I mean, mine's is not different. I mean, I could go back all the way to my past and it's always been the same. I've always been slightly, uh, oh, I've been, always been socialist. That's never, ever changed. Um, what I found, Mark, was that people, people in football come from the same place. Nearly all the people throughout the world come from the same place, working class backgrounds. Nearly all of them, poor, poor backgrounds in an awful lot of the cases in certain parts of the world. And that's that's how you're brought up, and, you, and normally it'll be you're you're in um, socialist areas. Now that might have changed a little bit with the way that the, the people are looking at lives. But what I found, and I found embarrassing, was that that uh, a lot of my colleagues would change their vote, like the the the, 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 the old song, they change their vote with their overcoat. Mm. And it used to piss me off, but it also gave me it allowed me opportunities or opportunities to extract um, the urine out of them because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they did, they, they did real, they had no real idea other than the, the whole, the other, the premise was that they thought that whatever the income tax rate at the time was, was relevant to what they were doing. Mm. Now, all the way through my playing career, yeah, all the way through my playing career, uh, it was a Tory government, Thatcher and then all their acolytes following that and they just seem to think that you know this would be the, the fact that they, they thought they had uh, a few more um, pounds, shillings and pence at the end of the month was was yeah they're doing a great job yeah yeah of course yeah and I used to turn around and say to them all the time about well what about 
the VAT on this? What about the VAT and that? What about the... Even then, I used to go on about the National Health Service and I used to be saying to them, the likes of Steve Bruce, see that machine that you'll need when you're going to have a heart attack because you'll be a fat bastard one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was very... That was quite visionary of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, that machine you're going to need that goes, you know, bing... Bing, bing. It's not going to be in the fucking booper hospital down the road. Mm. It should be in the, you know, be in the hospital, but it won't be in the hospital because you go to the booper hospital, haven't got one, and then they'll take you to the fucking National Health Service hospital, and they haven't got one because you wouldn't pay your fucking tax, so you're going to die. <laughs> oh no, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I did that with him round. <laughs> it, fuck. No, it's the same thing, and I, but, so, but it just entertained me, Mark. I'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 cool. What you want to do? And I would just, I would just exaggerate it more and more, and they'd no, no answers to it because they didn't know, they didn't read it, they couldn't, they didn't read it. You know, it just like they might have read. But I suppose if you're a professional footballer, you're you're in your own world, aren't you? So unless you. But then I don't know. It seems to be much more now that I mean Gary Neville seems to be the official leader of the opposition at the moment, along with Rashford, and um, and but is another thing that I think is, and I don't know if this is just coincidence, but if you were to look at the sort of the the managers of the last sixty years or so in Britain who have been the most influential managers, you would. It's remarkable how many of them are people who would have called themselves, who often used to call themselves socialists, Jock Steen, Busby, Ferguson, Clough, Klopp. Shankly. Shankly, Jack Charlton. Not all of them, but the, but that's a remarkable, it can't just be coincidence, a remarkable number of the most influential managers of the last sort of 60 years. You know, that probably is all of them, isn't it, I suppose? I suppose you could say Guardiola as well. But um, it seems amazing to me that there's that so many of them are people, and they're not just people who have been sort of, who've got a vague, you know, made, made, make the odd comment. They're people who call themselves socialists, like Clark does, like Shankly and Clough and people. And they're all marvellously flawed and wonderful characters as well, uh, like Ferguson. But they were all people who sort of... And I wonder whether... Do you think there is something in that? Or am I just talking bollocks here? Is there something no, in I that? Think, that if you're, I think, no, because you think the same thing. You get, you've got that famous uh, Bill Shankly quote about he saw life and football and socialism to be the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the believing in the team. And everybody was the team, not just the players that were put out on the pitch. Everybody that was involved were part of the team. And then outside that, the fans were part of the club and a huge part of the club. And that's how they lived their lives through, through, through that kind of thing about what was important for the team. And the team, having a team, I mean, Crystal Palace this year have got a good team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just doing quite well what he's doing, but they've got a good team, so they're achieving positive results, including get to the semi-final of the um, the FA Cup, where they played pretty well, and and eventually succumbed to to a couple of goals. But that's how I think that that teams are successful by believing in each other and and then having an instilled belief uh, by the coach or the manager. 
Yeah. Well, anyone, I think anyone who plays football, even at, at any level, even at that utterly appalling level that I, that I play at every now and again, you know that the most frustrating thing is that you get players who are, are quite talented. They they try to go past everybody on their own, and they're they're a menace, aren't they? I mean, that's true whether it's your local fibre side club or in the Premier League. Someone who just hangs on at the ball and tries to do everything themselves and not be a team not be part of a team, is a disaster. And um, I suppose the managers, you know, the managers have to have that, that overview of it. You know, maybe that's maybe that's part of it. I'm just thinking, Mark, were you saying there about all these great socialists that have gone on to become great managers? And maybe that's the solution to United's problem. Maybe they need to get <laughs> Arthur Scargill in to be the new manager. <laughs> hey, that's I'm, what they... I'm not sure. That, no, he goes, <laughs> Arthur Scargill will be playing up front himself, even though he is now 87. <laughs> I was going to say, um, Mark, you, um, you're obviously a big fan of football, but doing my my research on you the last couple of weeks you, you're I, I noticed you're basically a big fan of, of every sport I mean particularly cricket you're, you're a huge cricket fan something that you are Brian which surprises a lot of people but uh, is that just a general fascination with with sport as a whole or what is it I don't know why it is I am absolutely obsessed with it and I, I there is something well of course sport is is so much about the subplots it's so it's so fascinating it's about character when someone will say Oh, you're ju- it's just a load of people chasing a ball about. Yeah, well, it isn't. It's it's the people that are fascinating. The reason that it's fascinating to watch Ronnie O'Sullivan play snooker is because he is a compelling individual. Um, Tiger Woods is a fascinatingly complex person, and you're watching him battle his demons and so on. The same with Murray. It's the way he's overcome. You know. The- dreadful things that happen in his youth and so on. And he's a fascinating person, Andy Murray. And and um. And I think the same with the same with football. Klopp and Guardiola, they are really, really fascinating characters. I think without that, if it was just eleven random people or sixteen random people, no, it, of course it, of course it wouldn't matter. But yeah, I can watch, um, I can watch pretty much anything. I got obsessed with the curling in the Winter Olympics. <laughs> yeah, I heard, I heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a sport that you don't like? I struggle with American football. How are you with that? I, I'm personally, I like American sports. I do like American. Right. So again, going back to a bit like you, you said about with cricket, you know, it's just all the different the quirkiness of it, the diversity of all the, the different stages of the game. I think it's easy to it's easy for people to say, "Oh, I don't understand it." But when you actually dig into it, it's exactly the same for as cricket for me. You know, baseball. I love baseball. But I love the duel between the pitcher and the batter and the the fielders, and it's just it's just one of those things. I just find it fascinating. Yeah, I think some I- of I think I have to just try and try and keep going with it. I mean, I can't, I can't bear the thing of people going, "Oh, why are you watching that rubbish?" I think, well, you can't just tread on it. If you find something uninteresting, then that's fine. But you can't. But that's very different from saying it is boring. It isn't boring if millions of people find it compelling, but you don't get it. That's a very different thing. I mean, I'm not particularly into fishing, but I wouldn't say fishing is boring. I would just say it just, you know, I'm not the sort of person it's meant to attract, I guess. Um, I always say this, this was my favourite moment in sport last year, possibly. The Tokyo Olympics and, because uh, it was on early in the morning, no fans and the BBC, bless them, they, they uh, on the radio, I was driving on early one morning and there was a 
British woman in the trampoline in fine. <laughs> and the commentator had to commentate on the trampoline in, and she said, I don't really know much about trampoline. I can tell she, she clearly wasn't happy. And it was Bryony someone. And I swear, right, I'll do the whole of the commentary on the British woman in the trampoline in final. The woman went, uh, right, Brian is just getting on the trampoline now. Here she goes. And then you heard... And then she went, well, that seemed to go quite well. (laughs) (laughs) I had to pull the car over. (laughs) I was was so funny. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can can watch. I I remember watching the Olympics once once all day and barely get out of the chair. And then there was a judo was on. And the commentator said, you have to say that's a critical moment in the history of Algerian judo. And I, I know, that's it. I've got to go out. I'm going to I mean, part of the awful love of cricket, Brian, is, is the... Um is the commentary, isn't it? I mean, you always say that you just like listening to Test Match Special. Or, yeah, I think, that, I, think that, I think that's the best thing. What I've heard and what I'm experienced, Test Match Special is wonderful. And sometimes it's uh, better when the cricket isn't actually being played because of they've got to fill in, you know. So when, the, when it's raining or cloudy or dark or whatever, then they have to, to fill stuff in. And some of the stuff that they do is, is for me. And I think also the fact that the the and I, I quite like that I quite like I was quite like tennis on the radio as well because you have to create the vision. I think that was one of the things I like about it. you've got to create the you know that you know not just that mm. and I don't know so much about the positions in cricket but they tell you exactly where the ball is hit through mid on or mid off or silly or whatever else there's all the different positions and I just like the the way that that. And again, part of the thing that the, the BBC have been able to do, they, they've been able to create teams of teams of 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 commentators who played cricket, who then become synonymous and been known as commentators, and then other other cricketers come in and be involved. And if they, the creator, there's a for me, is a great team within all that stuff, and it seems to be that it's, it's, it perpetuates, you know, since I've been listening to the to, to the stuff and. I know some of them had left the BBC to go and work for for the satellite people, but mainly the stuff and the stories they tell are wonderful. I mean, and I've always enjoyed listening to any sportsman talking about their career and what happened and where it started and different events and what game they played and and, and the humorous situations, you know, because there's, I mean, there's so many funny things that happened to you. So, I, mean, I, I would have liked to have had the foresight to sit every day when I was in the dressing rooms at Celtic, Manchester United, Scotland, and write down events. I can remember bits and pieces of things, but actually write down day-to-day stuff that, that people said and how, and how they said them uh, and, and be able to tell a lot more stories than I can recall. But they, they've, they've had this thing that's great listening to this stuff. I mean, my, uh, my favourite cricketer of, of all time, Mark, is Viv Richards. And I've always liked, um, I mean, one of the things I've, I've always, I used to ask people about who's your favourite sports person, who's your favourite this, and, and I, I don't understand why team players pick individuals as the favourite sports person. I like toast. I like people who pick a team player 
even though they're yeah, outstanding, yeah. you know. I mean, like for me, and uh, a wonderful West Indians cricket team, Viv Richards was the outstanding player and the most charismatic or the, whatever else it was in that team. And I, and and it's something that I got we I don't know, I just got a wee bit disappointed when people say, "Oh, my favourite ever sportsman was not declining his his, um, his achievements." A lot of people say Muhammad Ali for different reasons, but I, I I just think if you're involved in team sport, you should it should be a team person, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. Well, often they're the sort of um, I don't know someone like John McGovern or something that Clough always took around or someone like that who was really critical to. To him winning, I was um, I, I, I was on Test Match Special once, Brian. It South was a, I, uh, Were you I was on Test Match Special from South Africa. No, no, no. It was uh, no, it was on Test Match Special from uh, in Edgebaston, oh, um, which is very, very much not South Africa, and <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, my son was eleven, and it was the such a marvellous moment you know when there's nothing better than when someone is exactly like they're meant to be and I came I was very you know I was, I was, I was, I was quite nervous about it all being interviewed and test match special Agnew all that and I came out and my son was sat just outside the little box he was 11 at the time and he used to keep wicket he was keeping wicket at the time for his school and Jeff Boycott was there in this white suit, exactly as he meant to be, tie, everything, born in day. And he came straight over to my son. I had no, di- no idea who he was. And he just went, and what do you do? Do you butt or bowl? And, uh, and my son said, oh, I'm a wicketkeeper, Jason. And it was Jeff Jeffrey. You're wicketkeeper? Well, you need to get out there and keep wicket for England because our wicketkeeper's rubbish. And he... <laughs> <laughs> And we went downstairs and him and Boycott were chatting <laughs> and Boycott was stood there having a cup of tea like this. So this was, my son's 25 now, so this was 14 years ago. Kevin Peterson was playing and uh, he hit this crazy shot. He was on 90 odd and he hit this crazy shot and spooned the ball up and got out caught. And uh, Boycott just stood there supping his tea like this. And my son went, Oh, Peterson's shot was bad, wasn't it, Jeffrey? And he went, Bud, you were a pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I talk to an 11 year old. <laughs> it was just so perfect. <laughs> What, what do you make of the, the modern generation of commentators? I know it's slightly sort of off, off topic, but you know, I grew up in an era when you, you know you, you had those established commentators in all sports and people like uh, you know Blowers and uh, Brian Moore, John Motson, you know those kind of established names that you could listen to all day. Peter Jones. What do, what do you make of the the, the modern the day? Football or yeah, yeah. I mean, I say the football. I mean, you know, the way they're going with you know Keane. Uh, Neville, it seems like they're sort of cultivating a. Oh, Neville! Well, I do, I do Neville in my show. I do, I do a sort of. I'm not really impressed with it, but I, I say if you not if you live with someone who watches too much football and you don't watch any, you could thing that you can watch together is Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, because after the game they get a huge screen, 
and Neville just points to all the different players going, what I want to know is what's he doing there? He's not tracked back. He's lost his man. What's he doing? And the referee, what's he doing there? And the goalkeeper, what's, let's have a look in the crowd. This fella's in CDB18. What's he doing there? If Attenborough ever retires, they should get him and Carragher to, to take over. Going, look, I'm looking at this wildebeest and I'm saying to myself, what's he doing? He's lost his herd. He's on his own. The lion's in him. He's come across and eaten him and I've no sympathy. What's he doing there? <laughs> did did you notice this in a young Gary Neville, Brian, when you played with him? Did you think this, <laughs> did, was he as attentive to all this sort of stuff when he was a player? I get the feeling he had to be. No, it just talks shit like he does now. <laughs> it's always been like that. They wouldn't fucking sharp. Talking all the fucking time about everything, you know. So it's not a cultivated. No, no, I'm not. Not see him. No, don't see him. No. And we tried to get him on the show, but he isn't. He hasn't replied yet. But, um, no, there's all these people are uh, you know impossible to get in touch with now. They're. So, so you don't think he's? he's Who are your mates from there? Then do you still see it? Every now and again, I'll see one or two players that I played with, uh, Mark Hughes, Gary Pallister, occasionally Eric Cantona, but this is only during uh, doing Q&A things on a kind of little, um, you know, just sometimes doing Q&As every, everywhere, you know, every now and again, you do something, you know, you might bump into them, you know. You won't see Steve Bruce for a while after what you just said. You might not. You might not ever see him again. <laughs> <laughs> Be at his funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I told you. <laughs> uh, but what I, 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 it's sort of the amount of abuse people get as footballers. I find that, you know, you were saying, oh, it's like at your gigs or whatever, but you don't really, I mean, it, it's very, very rare for anybody to be really abusive, you know, to someone who's a performer. But, or even in any sport, but in football, you go to take a corner and there's about 20,000 people screaming, you're a wanker, you're a shit, you're a fucking this bollocks, that. Does that, do you just sort of laugh that off? Yeah, you just, it's like, you grow a rhino hide, really, because that's part of the, just part of how it is. You didn't used to get abused, Brian, though, did you? You were, you were popular on the, on all sides. Yeah, no, that would get a bit of abuse all over the place, you know, so... Life with Brian. Life with Brian. Life with Brian. I learned today how to survive as a comedian. All right. You have to have, you have to know where the back door is. <laughs> uh, you have to uh, be an ability to run quite quickly to your car, <laughs> and then you have to be able to. Uh, have know how to jump start your car while somebody's pushing you down a hill. <laughs> oh God, that's true. That's true. It was oh, it was about when would that have been? About nineteen ninety three or something. Yeah, I did this gig in Wrexham, and it's got a sporting connection because I remember there was the rugby club. Uh, oh God, I don't, I don't mourn, I don't pine for these days. There was a rugby club. I remember this is true, right? This rugby club. And they were they were on they were this, on his waist lads, and they were singing um, they were singing this song. I remember that beforehand, and I thought this isn't good. They were singing this song that was um, 
that just went through the alphabet with a different filthy word for every letter, and that was the song. So they just stood around this table going, oh, A is for asshole, and B is for bollocks, and all that. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I used to do a bit about it, and I'd say if they got to a tricky letter, they'd just go for something like, X is for xylophone up the ass" or something mm. like that. And... Um, and yeah, I fell out. I said something because they were shouting and screaming, and I uh, and I got there in this car, and the bloody transmission or something was going wrong. And it it would only once it started, it was all right, but it, you had to give it a push before starting it, and then it would sort of you, you could jump it and boom, and off it go. And they absolutely went for me. They uh, and they came after me in this afterwards and they, I thought no you really are quite nasty I think you're going to uh, you're going to try and do my head in aren't you and I said to a couple of people like is there a back room or something can you get out the back door and can we get out and um, a couple of these sort of a couple of these people in this club went alright well we can try your best and um, I went and they got us out and, and then these rugby people come chasing out of the car park. They were about 30 yards behind us. And then it suddenly occurred to me, oh shit, my car needs a push. So as I'm running, I'm going, could you give us a push when we get there? <laughs> it was like some terrible scene in a thriller. And uh, I had to get in and then these poor sods, if I ever meet any of them again, I'd but did, a few but was it not during your act though that you'd, um, you'd said something and they weren't very happy about it and then you were telling a story about somebody was going to die or something to do with death and one of the guys stood up and said I don't know about that but I know when you're going to die <laughs> straight after this yes, gig that's right <laughs> yeah I know when you're going to die so half a minute after this fucking show ends wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right oh thank you God, those days are over. <laughs> See, I, think it's, it's, I have a theory that, it's not really a theory, I think it's something that's obvious. I think there is there is so much that's um, similar between comedy and sport, doing professional comedy and doing professional sport. I think it's really, really, really similar, Bron. I got I sort of met up with Graham Lasso once to talk about this for the radio thing, and we just kept sort of... We, over the course of the day, we kept finding, yeah, there's, there's another thing that is almost exactly the same. And um, like some days when, I don't know if you felt this, but there's some days when, there's some days when you're on stage and you're just not feeling it and you're just not at your best. And on those days you have to go, right, I've just got to do what I know I can do here. Yeah, Don't try anything too. fancy because that's going to get me in trouble. And I wonder that, and he said, no, that's exactly the same, especially because he was in defence, you know, and if you try anything fancy, and you, well, these days where you're trying to play it out from the back, you know, then you end up being a, a, a big joke, you know. So don't try any, don't try to dribble around anybody, just do the pass, the short pass, or whatever, I don't know. But do you, you recognise that? Yeah, the back, because what you're, you're talking about there is, it, it's when you're having a tough time and things are not working out, you might be doing trying to do a few things. If you go back to the basics, you know, so just go back to the basics, mm, mm, mm. try and pass the ball to somebody with the same colour of shirt, then if you keep yeah. doing that for a period of time, then it might dig you out of that hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I imagine so you, you, could, you can go back to, well, that, that, that you've got a, 
a stock of things that even though you're fairly confident that you can get a laugh out of, you know, or yeah, 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 yeah. Back on track or whatever. So, and then you might throw in another, another um, difficult one or another tester, you know. And I, I think that's exactly what it is. And just right, and you go, well, actually, I wasn't the best there, but. I tried my best. I did the best I possibly could. It just didn't work out. And you, you review that in your own head. And they do it a much, much more analysis than football than they did when I was there. But I don't think you need to do that. You, you knew when you played badly and you knew when you played well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you, just, you just kind of learn from those different things. But but it's always the same thing is that when, it, when it's going poorly, you just go back to the basic yeah. sort of things of win the ball, Passable to somebody who maybe a better form than you, or maybe better ability than you to do something else with it, and just make sure that you just you do your little job and your little bit, you know. So yeah, yeah. No, I think that's incredibly similar. You know, all these sports psychologists, maybe comedy will end up like that with that, where they will have comedy psychologists and because you've done three bad gigs in a row. <laughs> um, I so yeah, I, I I spoke to John Parrott. Uh, when I was doing these programs, and he said something that I thought was so—I I don't know—I thought that was really interesting. He said, after his first son was born, he used to practice. This is on top of the tournaments. He used to practice for nine hours a day. After his son was born, he decided to drop that to seven hours a day, and he knew that by doing that, he would drop down the world rankings. But he took the decision that now he's got a family. It's just something he's got to accept. And I thought that, now that is similar to comedy in a way, because there are people who are crazy obsessive and we're all driven like maniacs, really, comics. We're all, you know, none of us are well. But But there are the people who are utterly driven to a point of absolute mania. And I think you do have to go, oh, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to be like that. That's bonkers. And I think it's quite, it, I think it's quite similar in a way. I don't know. Am I, am I talking yeah. shy here? But, yeah, but the but, thing is that with, um, with football is that it was always going to come to an end, Matt. You know, the participation part, yeah, the yeah, playing yeah. part, you, you, it was down to uh, mortality. So if you get to 35... Then that, that's what we are. I mean, your situation, it's all down to motivation and um, keeping your wits about you, really. So that maybe perpetuate a lot longer, really. But one of the things that, that, that I was quite interested in that you talking about in your last podcast was that doing a lot, you ended up doing, when you first become, well, you first become successful, you end up doing lots of different things. You appeared in... Um, I think you did some acting in Red Dwarf, is that right? And yeah, you were on Question Time and did lots of different things, and then and then and then you did lots of all that, and probably running all over the place doing all these different things, taking up a lot of your time, as well as doing your normal job, which was as a comedian, and then you, you you stepped away from that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think no, I, that is something, and I do sometimes comics do sometimes talking to each other go. Wow, imagine if at the age of 36 you had to retire. I think that that would be very, very difficult because um, it's it's an addiction that's the same way that sport is. I remember sort of cycle fans will know called Milky Quail. Uh, I'm not a 
a huge motorcycle fan, so I didn't really know this bloke. But if you talk to anyone who is a motorcycle fan, then they're they're, they're just like, oh my god, he you know, and he was a, a champion, the Island Man, and he had a big crash, and he'd um, and he'd had to retire, he'd been world champion and all that. And I could tell talking, he was a lovely bloke, he was such a lovely fella, but. Yeah, I could tell he was struggling. He was like an he was like a sort of addict but to give up. He'd had to retire after this big crash. And um I really, really felt for him and that. And uh, I, I remember thinking, God, yeah, I'm sure comics would be terrible casualties. If you got to 36, 37 and maybe you had to drop down to lower clubs and then at the age of 39 had to pack it in. One or two of you went on to manage a club or become a pundit commentating on other gigs. But, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but talk, talking of uh, comedy, you, Mark, you wanted to touch on uh, on the uh, In Town series, didn't you? You had a question. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we've already mentioned uh, the In Town podcast series you do for the BBC, uh, on which you've done a couple of hilarious episodes about two towns very close to my heart, uh, Blythe, which is um, where I live, and that was oh, fair- Blythe, yeah, 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 yeah that was fairly recently, and, and also Birkenhead. Um, for anyone that doesn't know the premise of the show, uh, tell us how it initially came about all those years ago and, and how you decide upon which towns to feature. Well, the idea of the show, for anyone who doesn't know it, which for many people, but uh, it's that. I, see, I, I always was fascinated by the difference between towns. And when you're a comic, I, you go to a town and I would think, oh, if I can think of three or four minutes at the start of a show that's about that town... That'll be such a laugh, and that was the, that's the bit that excites you as a comic. It's different from all the other bits, and I started to think, God, I'd love to be able to do a whole show like this. So I mentioned it to the BBC, and they were really up for it. So we went to uh, I went to Skipton to start with, and the, the moment that inspired the idea, the moment that made me think, no, we could do it there. So Skipton, which is in North Yorkshire, it's an old farming place, and the The theatre is a cattle market, right? So in the daytime, there's all cows being sold there and everything. And then they literally, a bloke comes out with a hose, massive hose, industrial thing, sprays away as much cow shit as they can. But it's still still there wafting about. (laughs) And in the evening, you do a show with this stench of cow shit and particularly sort of... You know, you, who can blame the cows for shit? And they're being sold for slaughter. And uh, and they're all sat there on these benches in a place that's owned by the National Farmers Union. There's no dressing room. This isn't a little dirty little club, by the way. This is a three, four hundred seat theatre. Uh, and I went, and the first thing it made me laugh, I asked for an iron to iron my shirt. And they looked at me like, well, good iron. What's the matter with you, Grace? Sort of bunt. And I think I, I think I started the show by going, round here, if you want shirt flat, you get rum to sit on booger. And I, so, so I started mucking about, talking about Skipton. And then I said, where's your rival then? I said, there's Keithley. Keithley's around the corner. Is Keithley your rival? And it just went deadly quiet. And then this one woman, she shouted, Keithley is a sink of evil. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and we went on for about 20 minutes just talking about Skipton and I thought we've got, we've got to go there and do that as our first show when I got the In Town series and it, it seemed to be really popular you know people liked hearing me just being really horribly rude about Skipton and it occurred to me that the more you know about the place the more detail you can get on it the 
the better it is, really. So that was 12 years ago, and uh, I'm still doing it. I'm just writing one about Salisbury at the moment. Well, that that was going to be my next question. I mean, Brian, I mean, where would you like to see Mark show up and give it the the in-town treatment. I suppose there'd, there'd be no shortage of material in your hometown of uh, Airdrie, Coatbridge. Yeah. Is that on the list for the next year? Airdrie, that's a fantastic, that's exactly the sort of place. <laughs> I mean, what sort of input, I mean, there must be a few interesting facts there. I think that they, they've gone back to the facts, is that I don't know if you remember about being in Wimslow, Matt. Yeah, 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 that was, right, that was a really early one. Yeah, yeah you yeah. went to, you did all the stuff about... Um, which it's important to have a glass floor so you can look down onto your snooker table. Oh, yes, that's right. Oh, no, Adam, I remember. There was a brilliant um, picture in an estate agent. Uh, uh, yeah. This was absolutely true. There was an estate agent and it had a, an advert for a house that it said... Uh, for a bungalow, and it said this bungalow, uh, there are many bungalows in Wilmslow, but this bungalow has got something that no other bungalow in the area has got. It has a second floor. Brilliant. How, how much time do you spend Do you spend in these areas, Mark? Yeah, yeah, I go up there for a day, uh, and I've got a producer now who's been, who's been doing it with me for years, and we have such a laugh. We go, so you go there for a day, and I get as much stuff as I can and go to all the f- sort of most obvious places. Then I read as much as I can about it, try and get my head around it, really. Uh, and then when I've sort of worked out what the place is all about, go back there, I might go back there again. Like with Salisbury, because it's not that far, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to Stonehenge in a couple of days and wander around there a bit and, and then, you know, you just have to keep doing it until you think, I know this place now. I know it so well that I can drivel on about it as much as possible. And uh, and then you can write the, the jokes about it and just be as filthily, horribly rude about it as possible. When I just occurred to me, like with Salisbury, I'm thinking, oh, right, all the little books about it are all about the beautiful stone cottages and all that. And I started thinking, does every person in Salisbury live in some fucking historic stone cottage? Because nobody is Greg's the Baker's a fucking 15th century stone bloody cottage with the fucking Queen Mary, Queen of Scots used to live in or something. And uh, once you get into that frame of mind, you're fine. And there's Porton Down there where everybody in Salisbury tells you that they know someone about Porton Down who's got something they can tell you about it with all the chemical things that have gone on there and all the Russian poisoning things and all that. And then there's enough there that you sort of, in the end, it it, it, it just sort of, you've got enough information that you can write it. Um, Paisley Paisley was lovely because it was... um, and of course, the brilliant thing with a place like Paisley, because it's not far from a major city, Glasgow, obviously, and a town like that, a bit like the town that I've, I've been lived in most of my life, Croydon, you then it then gets a bit of an inferiority complex. It's we're we're Croydon, we're not London, and Paisley was absolutely we had nothing to do with Glasgow. We're four miles from Glasgow. Mm. I've never even heard of Glasgow, and. Uh, and there's something very, very uh, attractive about that, I think. One of the, the, the things about Wimslow, Mark, and going back to your love of cricket, you must have enjoyed when you read the story about the woman who assaulted a burglar who'd, uh, well, broken into her home with a right. cricket bat. Yay! But not with any, any normal <laughs> <Yeah>. cricket bat. <laughs> 
Oh, wasn't it a bat that had been signed by Bill Bradman or something? It, it, it was a, a bat that had been signed by like that, the Ashes it? team. An Ashes team. We did one in Stockport. Uh, and the sort of Stockport's obviously got a very working class part. It's also got quite a posh part as it goes into Cheshire. And we found out that there are feral peacocks in Stockport. For a reason no one can work out, loads of peacocks just sort of strut around in this one bit of Stockport. And uh, and there was, uh, and we saw them, there's loads of them. And there was the, the front page of the Stockport Messenger one week was about a woman who, uh, who said she was she'd never been so scared in her life because a peacock came into her kitchen and knocked the kettle over. <laughs> so if uh, if you were to head to Airdrie or Cope Ridge, um, Brian, you must have a couple of pointers you could uh, you could no, offer, Mark. No, no, I'm, no. Not, I'm not doing these research for him. <laughs> He's going to go in and mess himself. <laughs> you couldn't uh, recommend a, a local hostel. Mess himself in the, you know. I think it's not on the list for the new season. Just laughing about that thing. If you don't, know if you remember, man, it would be when you went to that pub in Paisley, and uh, the dog was playing pool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. I was playing pool, and I, you know, like, like as a sports obsessive, I get far too invested in any little game competition I'm playing. So I was doing quite well at the pool. I think I only had two balls left, and this other bloke hadn't potted anything. And then um, this dog, what was his name? Murphy. This dog, Murphy, one of the blokes went, hey, Murphy, come over here. And it, the dog's just little poodle just jumps on the table and just knocks all the balls in. It was his little party trick. He just went, and he wasn't happy until all the balls were in the pocket. Well, I was stood there like an idiot with me cue still waiting to take the next shot. That's it, Murphy, good boy. I, I just wanted to ask you before we get on to, to the mailbag. Um, your son Elliot is following in your footsteps, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. forging a, a career in comedy. And yeah, you know, we've had Brian's son Liam on the show as a guest, and yeah, you know, we've spoken about the pressures of following in a, a father's footsteps, whatever that profession is. I mean, is it just something? Uh, so, is it something that he was always wanted to do, or were you keen for him to follow in the footsteps of? It? Oh, he just was. He just loved the world of comedy. He loved it. And he was funny and he had a funny... In fact, it was a football moment. One of the moments when I thought, oh, you're going to be a comic. So there was a World Cup draw, similar to the one that's just gone on a few weeks ago. The World Cup draw was taking place. So it was probably 16 years ago, I guess. He's 25 now, so he'd have been nine. Uh, Whatever World Cup that would have been. And I said, you're going to watch the World Cup draw, Elliot? And he went, oh, what's the point? He said... Even if we're drawn against Easter Island, we'll lose to the statues. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you're going to be a comic. That is such a comic thing to think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he wasn't that far wrong, I think, absolutely. What was that one? <laughs> so there was no pressure on your part. You didn't say you're going to definitely No, 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 just... not, not at all. No, and he's um, no, and he really enjoys it. He loves doing it. He's got loads of mates now. He does his own thing. He's, you know, we've done the old thing together, but uh, no, he's really happy. He's really happy. He's, he's when he's, we get him great. So it's, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. McClare's Mailbag. McClare's Mailbag. McClare's Mailbag. Another bundle of questions has arrived in the post at McLare Mansions. So, Matthew, can you pick a few out for Mark and Brian, please? Okay, um, I've picked out two. 
Uh, and the first one's Martin Lee. He kicks us off with one for each of you. Um, Brian first. <laughs> He's putting you on the spot here. And he says, what is your favourite joke? A favourite joke? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that would go down well. <laughs> you see, the problem with you, you start asking me about, about jokes and is that when I first started to think that things were funny, they quickly developed into uh, humour that was uh, very dark humour, you know. So a lot of stuff that you would never repeat. <laughs> that, you know? that, so I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you wouldn't repeat. Probably... I think a lot of the kind of things is not so much about about the jokes, about situations that are, are funny, you know, or things that are funny, you know. So yeah, I wouldn't say I, necessarily I, say that it was a particular joke about. T- talking to him, am I right in thinking you're both big? Fans of um, Monty Python. Did I read that somewhere, Mark? Was Monty Python a big influence in your career? Or? Yeah, well, I, I think if you're our sort of age, yeah, I think if you're our sort of age, you absolutely would be a, a fan of Monty Python. But, uh, partly because it, uh, I mean, it was just so, so rebellious. And it doesn't, it wouldn't seem like it now, but it was at the time because it just broke all the rules. It was just like, this doesn't have to make sense. And my mum and dad hated it because it didn't make sense. And that just made it 10 times funnier to me. Yeah. yeah so with regards to that, you talk about not necessarily a, a particular joke when you're saying about that kind of thing. And then for me, uh, Monty Python stuff was, was fantastic. Is you get the, the, the sketch like the, um, like the cheese shop. Yeah. 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 You know, when they're going to, he just keeps asking. And then mm. in the background, there's this music, musical <laughs> instrument playing. Mm. And then they keep, and it gets faster and faster and faster. It's, he keeps asking to put more and more different ridiculous cheeses. And he keeps saying, no, not, no, we haven't got that, you know. And then he gets to the thing about when uh, John Cleese asked Michael Palin, I think it is, um, uh, have you got any cheddar? And he goes, uh, there's not much call for that round here. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, there's not much call for it. It's the singular most cheap, popular cheese in the world. <laughs> and Michael Pearl then goes, not around here, sir. And that's just fucking hilarious. <laughs> and then the next minute, because he's so irate at this kind of thing, he says, shut that bloody bazooki up. <laughs> and you're like, that, what the fuck is he talking about? It's a bazooki, you know, I know you never heard of such a thing, you know? And then at the end of it, he goes, uh, right, I'm going to have to shoot you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sir. Now, so the thing is with that, if you was to sort of, um, I can see how if you don't make, if it doesn't make sense to you, you'd go, what's funny about that? And what, what could you say? You can't, you can't write an essay about what it was, but you can, but... It wouldn't make any sense. It's, if you can't see that that's funny, I don't know. I've no idea why that's funny, but it was genius. The one that I remember, and I, you know, I'm a bit like someone saying, I was there at Pearl Harbor. I will, I watched the spam sketch when it <laughs> first went out. And uh, I remember crying. I was in such pain laughing. I was probably about 11. I was in such pain laughing. And my mum was getting more and more cross at the absurdity. Well, they wouldn't say that in a cafe. Spam, 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 and spam. And the more cross she got, and the more they're just going, spam, spam, spam. I I was in, I thought I was going to die from laughing. And um, why? I, I don't know. 
<laughs> I can't, you can't explain it, can you? It's, it just somehow they hit upon the right thing. I don't know. <laughs> um, You're not off the hook here, uh, Mark, because it's a two-parter from Martin Lee. I think actually you've answered Martin's question there about your favourite joke. Because the uh, we'll, we'll say the cheese shop. Um, but for you, Mark, he says, what is your favourite goal of all time? Or the favourite goal you've ever seen? Um, well, I think there's no game that is more that means more to a fan than a playoff final. So I would sort of have to go between... Let's see, right? The contenders would have to be... Um, David Hopkin in the 1997 playoff final, the last minute against Sheffield United, uh, or similarly, Kevin Phillips's penalty after uh, Wilf was brought down by Forestieri, uh, in the which changed changed the course of sort of Palace history, really, because we've been in the Premier League now for ten years. Or as a comic, I would have to say, for comedy purposes. That first year that we were up and we were really struggling and it looked like we might go straight back down and Tony Pulley's come in and he was brilliant. And we played Chelsea and we thought, well, we're going to get absolutely stuffed here. And halfway through the second half, I think, um, John Terry edited the ball into his own net. <laughs> and that was not only magnificent, it was also funny. <laughs> That's a good enough reason for us. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I've asked you this, Brian. I didn't. You, I, we asked you this the other week, didn't you? And you said Pele's header in the 1970 World Cup final, or have you changed? Goal. Yeah, that's your favourite goal, is it? Uh, yeah, or Stevie Chalmers in 1967 in Lisbon. Yeah, no, you're, you're consistent, if nothing else. <laughs> uh, I thought you might have changed your mind since the other week when we spoke about it. Um, next question, Mark Porter, and this one's for Mark, but I suppose it could be for both of you. Um, he says Palace fans are often praised for the atmosphere they create um, at games. Are you aware of the effects of uh, the safe standing area at Celtic Park? And would you like to see that at, at Salah's Park? Yeah, without any doubt. I'm sure it's gone through all the sort of safety checks and all that sort of thing. I mean, uh, all the horrors that went that led to the uh, seated stadiums and so on. It's possible to It's possible to have standing and not have that danger, it seems to me. There were millions of there were so many things that led to that, you know, unsafe stadiums, unsafe policing. Um, it, it is surely possible to have standing and, and for it to be well, safe. I mean, most people in that Holmesdale end stand anyway, don't they? They do quite a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My son actually once, and this is a thing that quite often happens, I think with football fans, a sort of little moment in life. My son, when he was about 17, he went, oh, I don't want to sit with you next next year, Dad. I want to, uh, and I went, what? Horrible moment. And he, and he decided to go and sit, be with the Holmesdale fanatics. I don't know oh, what can I do, but the first the first game he was over there, they gave him the banner to hold. You hold it from behind, and it's in front of you, so you don't see a bit of the game. You can't see a single <laughs> moment of the game. He's probably so next, back to you the next week, was he? He was back to me next week. <laughs> <laughs> it's something you've seen, Brian. You're a regular at Parkhead. I mean, you've got the Green Brigade there. Is it something you're a fan of? Yeah, no, I think it's wonderful. I think it should should be. Introduced in all sorts of planes, clearly safe. It's been a number of years now in several stadiums throughout Europe, and it does work. 
you just talk about that kind of situation. It, it, it is more dangerous in places now because people won't sit down. I was at Hamden Park uh, at the weekend, and and then I was in the main stand, not not in the, the anywhere in the terrace or whatever. But nobody sat down. All right. So the you know and all I've got in front of you, if if there is any kind of sort of scenario. So I was near the back, I suppose. But if there is such a sort of thing where there is a, a thing, it's more dangerous now, you know. So. Um, and you know there were people there asking you to sit down but if you you, you, you you've been in lots of different games if the people in front of you are not going to sit down you're not sitting down because you can't see the game you know and it's uh, I think it'd just be introduced to the, the majority of places yeah. uh, or it would be enough places where people wanted to to, to, to safe stand yeah. uh, throughout grounds the only kind of concern I've got about it though is that this might become the premier ticket I was going to say exactly oh, the same right. thing. Yeah, it's like when you go to a gig these days at a big stadium, and, and to stand at the front, you pay about yeah, 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 160 yeah. quid a golden circle. Yeah. And I, oh, I absolutely do, absolutely. And yeah, I've, yeah. I've always thought that with it because people my only kind of concern yeah. that the the corporate football may club. Oh, these people want to stand. How much will you pay for that? Yeah. I suppose for the experience. Yeah, because there's a bit of a myth now, you know, rather than it was going back to the. 60s, 70s, and 80s, where you're sitting yeah. in a seat was where you paid, be paid extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of a myth going around that if safe standing comes in, you know, it's going to be cheaper and all this. I don't think it will be. I oh, think no, it's it's won't be, it certainly won't be cheaper. And I think if anything, yeah, yeah, no, I yeah. think you're right. Yeah, because it I mean, could think, well be. I mean, it is, you know, and I know it'd be nostalgic about these things, but I remember when I first went to set, I remember slipping a slipping a fiver to a bloke and getting through some dodgy turnstile. I mean, God knows what happened to that fiver. Well, I know what happened to fiver, <laughs> but um, it, it was, I mean, it, yeah, there, there was a whole football was, it was sort of like, Bish Bosch, well, look, I'll tell you what, don't tell no one, I'll tell you what, I've got some tickets in the back of my van. I'll tell you what, I'll give so you a knocked off fridge for 35 quid and all. It was all, you know, football, there was there was certainly that yeah. element in football, wasn't there? And, uh, yeah, and of course, a lot of it's the same sort of people from the same sort of backgrounds. But now it's, yeah. you know, but with a lot more money involved. Yeah. Um, before we go, we've got one added extra question, which came to me just before we started recording from our friend Top 3 Tom. And he's putting you on the spot this time, Mark. He's saying... Top three venues, destinations you've ever done for um, in town? Oh, like asking to choose between me kids. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a tough one. Alas, we have come to the conclusion of this episode and all that remains to do is say goodbye and thanks to Mark Steele for coming on and chatting with us. Um, thanks very much, Mark. It's been brilliant. Thank you. No, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been lovely. I mean, it's sadly in the cause of this, Palace have lost... One nil. So, well, we've kept we've kept you away from that misery for for at least the duration of the game. You can <laughs> you can go and commiserate now. Um, now it's yeah. all been done and dusted. Um, but you are on tour at the minute, aren't you? Oh yeah, we're always on tour. Comics always always uh, comics are always on tour. And uh, yeah, there'll be another there'll be another in town series coming out this uh, this this year. If you're listening to this in 2022, otherwise it's already gone out. Um, but yeah, Salisbury, not in them. I think going to doing doing one in Paris, doing two in Paris, one in English, one in French. So that's I don't know, just to make life even harder. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, well, you can check out Mark's website at marksteelinfo.com for details of dates, venues, tickets, etc., as well as his Twitter, which is at Mister Mark Steel. Um, and um, well, yeah, 
Big thanks to you, Brian and Matthew, of course. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Uh, And as always, our thanks and appreciation goes out to you for listening. We'll be back very soon, so keep an eye out on our Twitter account, which is at Pod, and subscribe to the show via whichever your preferred podcast platform is. So take care and bye for now. Life with Brian, talking films or music. Life with Brian, talking TV and food. Life with Brian, talking trivia and exercise. Life with Brian, it's different every episode. Life with Brian, talking politics and football. Life with Brian, it's different every episode. Life with Brian, life with Brian. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.